Worship is, by definition, a wonderful experience. I'm having a wonderful time, and I hope you are too. This is great music, these are great readings, it's a great Lord and Savior, and we are privileged to be in His presence. Privileged to be in His confidence, out of the confusion of the world, but in the presence of God Almighty. So grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's not the sermon, but <laughs> it could be. There's been enough theology sung here and spoken here that what else could I add? But I'd like to take a moment, first of all, to say thank you to all of you, and you probably don't know why, because I haven't told you yet. And I want to thank God for you, that you're here doing what you do. My wife and I want to thank you for all that you do. But God has richly blessed this congregation. It's been through good times and hard times and not so good times and not so hard times, like everybody else. But through it all, the Lord has blessed this congregation and he's still doing it today. And from personal experience, my wife Carolyn and I can personally attest to that. Because about three years ago, we moved here from, to Albuquerque from Phoenix. That's a no-brainer. And we found you through your website, which connected us with, here's a stream of things here. The website connected us with the streamed worship service, the ones that are being taped now. And that is, became our primary worship experience because of the nature of my work. The streamed worship connected us with God Cares About Your Mission, with which I became intermittently active. And it made us aware of the Stephen Ministry, which we support, and the wonderful periodic concerts which have been performed within these walls. Christ Lutheran School. It turned out we have a neighbor who has children, their grandchildren going to school here. And general Christian education. And there's much more than that. So for these things, we thank God for you and for all that you do. And I now, now I have a confession to make. I've been in church ever since I was a kid. And that was a long time ago, but I remember some of those Bible stories. And one of the Bible stories I remember vividly is the story of Elijah and his, his encounter of, uh, of other religions on Mount Carmel. And I thought I knew him pretty well because I've read Second Kings a couple of times in my lifetime, and it takes a lifetime to get through it. But this time, when I knew I was going to be preaching today, and I looked at the text, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 8, I was stunned. I couldn't believe what I read. There had to be some mistake. Elijah became afraid and runs for his life? I had never seen that verse before or read it slowly before, but I checked it out. That's what the text says in a lot of different versions and translations. Verses one, two, three out of the eight actually raise more questions that never get answered in the text than it tries to answer. Here's the text again. 
Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as a life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Now that's a death threat. That's a terrorist death threat. Then he was afraid. And another version says, he became afraid, like that, and ran for his life. And I can just see him scurrying out of the door of his, his home, headed out into the wilderness. Elijah, with those two verses, three verses, becomes the number one wanted man in all of Israel. He's running for his life. He's afraid that he would be murdered by Ahab and Jezebel. And the questions that I found unanswered are as follows. Well, what did Elijah really do to merit such attention? And why did he do it? Who told him to do it? That'd be good to know. How did things work out for him after when he did it? And how does Elijah's experience help us today? Now, our answers are recorded in chapters 16 through 19, which I'm not going to read to you, but you should read them for yourself because it's quite a story. Elijah was a prophet of the Lord, and he was one of many prophets in Israel at that time, but he was probably the most well-known of them all because he got to talk to the king often. But what did he do? And what was he doing for a long time? Well, the Lord was using Elijah to confront, condemn, and punish King Ahab and his wife Jezebel for rejecting the covenant God made with Israel at Mount Sinai when he led them out of slavery in Egypt. Ahab and Jezebel, instead of worshiping the true God, tried to close that worship down and instead introduced worship of Baal and Asherah, immoral, idolatrous male and female gods, and built temples to them. They were determined to close down worship of the Lord, Lord the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's how the text itself describes Ahab and Jezebel, if you're not familiar with their wickedness. Ahab, son of Omni, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria for 22 years. He did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any king before him. He made sure that he committed the sin of his predecessors, because he thought they were not of, non, of no consequence. So he married Jezebel, the idolatrous daughter of another king, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole, in other words, a place of worship for people to worship the female goddess Asherah. And again, he emphasizes, he did more to provoke the Lord to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. Ahab rejected the Lord's covenant, made the Baal the official religion of Israel. He and Jezebel began to destroy the altars of the Lord and to murder, systematically track down and murder the prophets of the Lord God. Summing him up, Ahab did more evil in the 22 years of his reign than all the other kings did in the 145 years who ruled before him. It's quite a record. So, using Elijah, the Lord has been punishing Ahab, Jezebel, with years of drought and famine, for instance. 
Finally, the Lord tells Elijah that Ahab with his prophets of Baal and Asherah must go and meet Elijah on Mount Carmel. Elijah delivers a message and Ahab rounds up 450 Baal prophets and 400 Asherah prophets. They go march out to Mount Carmel and there they meet just one man. Now it's 850 verses 1. They meet just one man, Elijah, the prophet of the Lord. It's Elijah who tells them why they are here. Now I think that would take a lot of courage. He says, today we're going to determine who really is God in Israel. We're going to settle it once and for all. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. So you Baal prophets, go build an altar, slaughter a bull on it, but don't set it on fire. Then start to call on the name of your gods, Baal and Asherah, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And whoever answers with fire, he is God. Well, the Baal prophets agree. They built an altar out of logs, slaughtered a bull, began calling on the name of the Baal to answer with fire, but there was no fire. So at noon, Elijah begins to taunt them. And I can just see him just strutting around, yelling at them, taunting, saying, shout louder. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder. And all afternoon they shout out Baal's name and they dance around their altar. They slash themselves with swords and spears until their their blood flowed. Still, no answer from Baal. The evening approached. Darkness is setting in. They become increasingly frantic, but still no, no, no response, no answer from Baal. Now, after a full day of this, Elijah says to all the people who have come up to see what's going on, he calls them to come up to him and he builds his altar, but he adds one extra step what he wants them to see. He thoroughly soaks his altar. He soaks the slaughtered animals. He soaks the stones. He soaks the logs. He soaks them not once, not twice, but three times. There's so much water on this altar pouring off of it that it fills a trench that had been dug around the altar to contain it. And then Elijah steps forward and he prays this simple prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord from heaven fell and burned up Elijah's altar, the slaughtered animals, the wood, the stones, the soil, licked up the water in the trench, And the people, when they saw it, they threw themselves to the ground, crying out, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And at Elijah's command, they seized the prophets of Baal and executed them. So in in full public view, in front of the eyes of Elijah, he saw it. In front of all those people, the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob instantly destroyed Ahab and Jezebel's corrupt idolatry system. The Lord won a great victory through Elijah 
And now Jezebel is so angry that she's determined to kill Elijah at any cost. And thus, verse 3 says, Elijah becomes afraid and runs for his life. Why? Why would he become afraid and run? I mean, Elijah had seen the Lord do great things before. He had really, he had extensive experience with how the Lord saved his life several times. For instance, when the drought and famine took hold of the land, the Lord directed him to a, to a ravine where he was fed by ravens, birds. They fed him bread in the morning and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook that was there. And when the brook dried up, the Lord directed him to a widow's home where he stayed. And as long as he stayed there, the Lord miraculously replenished that meager food supply. When the widow's son died suddenly, Elijah cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I'm staying with, causing her son to die? Oh, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. And Elijah picked him up and carried him to his mother and said, Now look, your son is alive. And she responded, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. So with all of these victories, including the victory the Lord has just won on Mount Carmel, Elijah becomes afraid and runs for his life. Big question he had to answer, though, where could he go? Where could he go? He wanted to run where Jezebel would not catch him, so he goes to Beersheba, which is a community in the country of Judah. When he reaches Beersheba, he stops and lays down. And you know, this is when he decides it's time to pray. He waits all this time, goes all this way, and finally prays about his situation. He's out of answers, so it's a pretty simple prayer. Is it well, probably a prayer I think I have prayed from time to time or thought of? He says, I've had enough, Lord. I have had enough of this. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Let me die. And he's saying, I'm a failure. I deserve to die. Well, the Lord answers him, but not in words we might expect him to, the Lord to say. Two times the angel of the Lord wakes him up, tells him to eat the bread and drink the water the Lord has brought for him, and says, we're going on a trip, Elijah. We're going on a trip. We're going to go to Mount Sinai. You remember Mount Sinai, the, the mountain of the Lord, where Moses and the Lord spent time together for 40 days and 40 nights. The Lord made his covenant with Israel there. And we're going to your rock, the rock of your salvation, to your deliverer. You are going to the Lord. So they start out, and it takes them 40 days and 40 nights to reach Mount Sinai. And I can only imagine the thoughts going through Elijah's head. What am I going to say? How do I explain myself? What, what's going to happen? And when they get there, the Lord is waiting. He begins to talk with Elijah. Very simply, he says, Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? Like he's surprised. Well, Elijah pours out his complaint that he Listen to us. It's so well crafted. His complaint. He says, 
He did his best, but everybody else let him down. They rejected your covenant. They murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. Well, in answer to that uh, complaint, the Lord demonstrates his power, and you can read about it in chapter 18. What the Lord does, he sends a great wind that shakes the mountain, sends a great fire, sends a great wind. And then he sits down or calls up to Elijah and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And again, Elijah answers with his complaints. And he gives the same argument that he gave the first time. You know, he's got his story and he's sticking to it. He describes his situation as completely hopeless. I tried, I really did, he says, but all the others, they gave up or rejected your covenant or were killed. I am the only faithful one left and they are trying to kill me too. Now this isn't in the Bible, but in my mind, it's in my mind anyway, I can just picture this scene, what it looks like. This conversation with God between Elijah and the Lord. Elijah sitting on a rock, his head is down, his face is covered, and he even might be crying. And the Lord is beside him. He's got his hand on Elijah's shoulder, listening to Elijah go on about his trouble. And the Lord is silent, doesn't criticize him, doesn't do a problem analysis of Elijah, what he should have done instead of what he did. He simply holds Elijah, comforts him, loves him. And then the Lord turns Elijah's life around 180 degrees with six simple words. Elijah, go back the way you came. Go back the way you came? Elijah's mouth must have dropped to the floor. But the Lord is not sending Elijah back to Israel to die. He's sending Elijah back with reinforcements to win the day, another victory, which he does. He says to Elijah, you're not alone. You've never been alone. You're not the only one left who is faithful. I have 7,000 other people, not counting women and children, whom I have protected who have rejected Baal and the Asherah. And I'm sending you back to anoint two kings, and that meant two big armies, to fight for you. And I want you to stop by on the way back there to find Elisha, anoint him, and let train him to do everything you do because he's going to be your replacement. So with this newfound source of strength and confidence in what God has in mind for him, Elijah goes back. Well, how do things work out for Elijah? Quite well, as it works out. In the second chapter of 2 Kings, the text reads that one day Elijah and Elisha are walking along the road, talking is probably one mentor is talking to his mentee, when suddenly a chariot of fire, pulled by horses of fire, appears and it separates them, and Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and he cries out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. But Elisha saw him no more. 
If we live long enough, and I imagine we all have, we will experience the joys, the victories, and the bitter disappointments of significant failures. It's going to happen. It's possible to experience the ups and downs several times. We all have experienced the emotions Elijah experienced, but you know his emotions were not based on reality. He thought his reality was failure, deserving death, payment for his sin. Actually, his reality was success and eternal life, the gift of God, who will die in Elijah's place and be resurrected to give eternal life to everyone who believes in him. Even today, in the last year and a half, millions of people around the world have lost everything. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their wealth. They've lost their health. And tragically, they've lost their lives, millions of them. And for a long time, there wasn't a cure. For protection, we isolated ourselves from other people. No social interaction. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Stay feet, six feet away from other people. Stay home. Don't travel. Shelter in place if you are traveling. It would be so easy to live out our version of Elijah's desperation. You know, we may have faced in the past or perhaps now are facing or will face in the future the losses that have piled up from the COVID virus. Do we have a place to go? Where could we go but to the Lord? Elijah wanted to quit, wanted to die, a failure just like his ancestors. Fear drove him to the place he needed to be. He needed to be out of the world's confusion, and he needed to be in the presence of the Lord's confidence. When I find myself living out Elijah's emotions, I need to get out of the world's confusion and into the Lord's confidence. And back to, to my mental painting here, in my mind, I can sit on that rock where Elijah sat. I can sit on that rock with Jesus. I can tell him all my troubles, and he will listen. He will not tear me down. I can hear him speak to me in his word. Fantastic words. Come to me, all you who are carrying heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Learn from me. I will give you a light load, and I will give you rest for your souls. Well, that's a mental picture. In reality, where do we find him? We find him on a cross where he suffered and died for our sins. We look for him in an empty tomb where he was laid in death but was resurrected to live forever. We find him in his body and blood, in his supper, in the bread and the wine. We find him when we revisit our baptism where we were baptized into his death to be raised to live to a new life. And so importantly, so importantly, we find him in the comfort of God the Father, God the Father who comforts us in all our troubles. So we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And we are sent back the same way that we came, back to tell as many people as possible that they have no place to go but to the Lord. Afraid, discouraged, Elijah came to the Lord. 
We come to the Lord, carrying our discouragement, desperation, and defeat. The Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob listened to Elijah and restored and renewed and sent him back the way he came. When Jesus asks us, why are you here? We can pour out our complaints and failures, admitting that we are lost, worthy of eternal death. And Jesus renews He restores us and sends us back to those from whom we came, back to those for his name's sake. Elisha went back with Elijah. Jesus goes back with us. Finally, the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sent a chariot of horses of fire to take Elijah into his presence. And we sang Paul's News to us earlier in one of our songs, but Paul spells out our future. He writes, The day is coming when, according to the Lord's own words, our Lord Jesus Christ will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the trumpet call of God, and we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, therefore encourage each other with these words. In the name of Jesus, amen.